Thanks for tuning in to the CoLive podcast, where we explore learnings, insights, and discussions with co-living operators and professionals from around the world. If you're a first-time listener on our podcast, just a quick reminder that CoLive is the world's largest co-living association with the goal to connect, educate, and empower co-living professionals. Today's episode has been recorded during one of our monthly meetups, where we discuss a wide variety of topics related to co-living. To join our network or find out about future meetups and other events, please visit colive.org. That's C-O-L-I-V.org. Let's hop right in to today's episode. Okay, Roy, it's amazing having you on this podcast. Thank you for having me. It's really, really great to be here. Hell yes, hell yes. And there's a lot of stuff to talk about. I mean, uh, you, you, you entered, the, or at least I've got to know you now for only a couple of months, but since you entered the co-living scene, uh, you, you made quite a bit of buzz. So uh, maybe let's let, let's start with the basics. You know, like tell us tell us really quick, like uh, who you are, uh, what you do, and and maybe tell us about your entrepreneurial journey a bit. How, how did you get here? Well, it's an excellent uh, question. It's actually quite uh, interesting. So I had the fortune to grow up and live in about four countries. And actually, now Spain is the fourth country I'm living in. So I consider myself, you know, kind of a co-liver's soul to begin with. I grew up yeah. in the early days in New Zealand, in Israel, in Ireland, in Dublin, now in Spain, in Barcelona. Mm. So I think that journey, that, that kind of, you know, bug was always in me. I actually started as a lawyer in the field of real estate. So I was a real estate lawyer for a good five years where I was exposed to all of the inefficiencies in the real estate market, right? Not just about renting, but all of the, the market. And um, especially the financial inefficiencies about, you know, the deposits like anyone else. I rented my first and second apartment. And if you think about it, with cash deposits, you actually pay for something that will never or might never happen, right? You pay up front for a damage or, or a problem that may never happen. Meaning you pay first, then the damages occur or never occur at the end if you are a good tenant and you take good care of, of the apartment. This is crazy. This is hardly doesn't exist in any other space mm. of our lives. So that always, you know, kind of bugged me. Also on the landlord side, you know, the ability to collect deposit was perceived, I remember from my own days, as kind of a qualification or a signal that the tenant is actually a good tenant, is a solvent tenant, or is a, someone that will take care of your property. Now, research after research, this is proven wrong. The fact that you have money in your pocket doesn't mean almost anything, right? Later, I moved on in my career and I left law, and I, I was lucky enough to work for Google for a good six years. I was introduced to the lovely Dublin. And then in Google and later on in a different tech company, I was leading global sales operation teams. And they are all about productivity and efficiency. So eventually combining the two, right, real estate experience and productivity and efficiency is what led me to try to tackle this financial inefficiencies mm -hmm. in deposits. And that's kind of how I'm here. That, that's interesting. Have you had like yourself an experience where you were just frustrated about deposits? I mean, I, I did, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, the biggest probable pain point as a tenant was the need to pay the new deposit 
while you are still waiting to get back the old deposit. So yes. de facto, you are double financing the deposit because the old landlords giving back the deposit is the least of their priorities, right? They, they are taking time and, and it's not the top thing on their minds. And, the and also it serves, it serves them with cash flow too, right? Yeah, of course. I mean, not to mention the cash flow there. And the new landlord says, well, I like you, but if you want to secure the place, you know, transfer the deposits, I'm not going to give it to the next tenant. So de facto, as a tenant, I had to obviously pay the, the agency fee. I had to pay the first month of rent. I had to pay the deposit. I had to pay the moving cost and, you know, two, three days of losing work and moving company and whatnot. And of course, still not having the old deposit in my pocket. So, oh boy, oh boy, did I feel the pain as a tenant. Yes. And actually, uh, so now, so you founded uh, Rimbo Rent. When, when was that exactly? Uh, how many years that ago? That was at the very end of 19 or beginning of 2020 uh, here in Barcelona. So we founded Rimbo right then. Gotcha. And, and so like, as, as you explained, so what, what you, what you do, and let me know if I understood it correctly, right. But what you do is instead of tenants having to pay a deposit upfront, Uh, they just have to pay almost kind of like an insurance fee or like a, a monthly subscription uh, that covers their deposit in case or like the fictional deposit in case they would break something so that the landlord actually has has like an intermediary like you that can actually pay them uh, in case the tenant breaks. So it's almost exactly as you described. We're doing something a bit different. What you're describing is a system that exists mainly in the UK, a bit in the US, which is an insurance-based deposit replacement. And it's exactly like you said, right? It's the tenant kind of paying a nominal fee and de facto is buying an insurance policy. What we said is, why do it this way? Why, again, contract insurance? And again, I have nothing against insurance. I think it's a great way, but it is also not very financially efficient. Why force the tenant to pay more and buy an insurance policy? What we have done is we went ahead and we've built this business not based on insurance, but based on a financial or credit structure. So in our um, business, the tenant doesn't pay anything. So imagine, uh, let's talk a bit about how it works. Imagine when you check into a hotel, right? When yeah. you check into a hotel, you don't pay any deposit. You simply give your card as a security to the hotel. When you check out, If you, you know, watched movies in the room or ate in the minibar, then the hotel charges your card. And if the card doesn't work, the hotel knows that the credit card company will bear the risk and pay you out. So what Wimbo is doing is doing exactly the same or bringing the hotel experience into the co-living experience. So when the tenant checks in, they pay zero, zilch, nothing. They authorize their card with Wimbo. Thanks to our technology, we obviously run a few screens and checks and verify that, you know, the tenant is the tenant and they can actually pay, but we do not block the card. This is not like a car insurance or any kind of similar operations. We, we do not block the card. We run checks and we tell the landlord or the operator in this case, hey, this is a good person. And the operator has the security to know that at the moment of checkout, What happens is, let's say that, you know, you broke the table or you need to paint the wall, stuff happens. The tenant can simply pay by using their card, exactly like they would do in a hotel, just without blocking the card. The costs are borne by the operator, not the tenant. Gotcha. Gotcha. Now, you mentioned something beforehand that was like really interesting. You said 
that it doesn't matter whether a tenant actually pays deposit or not. Like it doesn't change his or her behavior Correct. Um, with the space. Like, yeah. So there's, uh, you know, intuitively, and this is going to behavioral economics, but intuitively you would think that if I, as a tenant, can afford, you know, a month or two months of deposit, hey, I have money. But research proves that the real indicator or the real metric to track that if I have to pay rent, I will actually pay rent. And if I cause damage, I will actually pay for it is around behavior, not about money, right? So imagine, you know, someone who makes a lot of money in the casino. He might be rich at the beginning of the month, but at the end of the month, he might be broke. You might be making 20 or 30 or 40K net month, but you might be spending 39K out of it. So having money in your bank account is a long, long time, not an indicator for financial solvency, which is one side of the equation, but more importantly, it's not an indicator for behavior. What we are looking is to understand the behavior that if you owe money, whether it be Amazon, your supermarket, or the store around the corner, or your credit card bill, you actually pay it. So more important than money is a behavior, even though many operators or landlords might think that having money in your account is some sort of an indicator. It's absolutely not. Mm. So when you, when you started, your, you had this idea, you've been thinking about it for a while, you were in the real estate industry beforehand, and then you mixed it with, the, with your productivity learnings. Um, how did you, I mean, you, you rec- we're currently like in mid 2021. So when you founded uh, Rimbo, that was like a year and a half ago. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you figure out kind of like your sweet spot, right? Because there's so many different, like you could have gone also into the normal rental industry. You could have gone into like built to rent apartments. Like how, how did you figure out like your, your real niche? So the, the real hard truth and honest truth is that we discovered So we, exactly as you mentioned, we started in what we call the long-term rent or rent more than 12 months or the traditional rent that we all all know. And we are live. We we provide a solution for the long-term rent. But then as we move forward, we said, hold on one second. We are not based on insurance, right? We have a very flexible model that actually allows us to offer this deposit replacement solution to other verticals. And... The essence of what we offer is, you know, living a a sort of deposit as a service. So we started to ask ourselves, which industry values service, quality, and experience the most? So co-living was the number one idea there. So in that moment, we, we, you know, partnered with a local co-living operator to try and to test while we were building the product and building the back-end solution. And it worked, you know, great. The the tenants loved it. The operator loved it. That was the moment that we decided to say, okay, you know what? We actually have a viable, relevant, great solution for the co-living industry. And then from there, we we just, you know, well, we talked to you as one example and we move forward with co-living. That's amazing. Yes. And then since then... I mean, since then you you've put a a bigger mark in the co-living industry too. You you joined Colif as a as a main partner. Uh, you spoke at the Colif summit. People uh, people started hearing about you. Uh, what's been a what's been like some some honest feedback? Like, what have you learned since entering the co-living industry? 
So, I mean, first of all, we are really happy and fortunate to be in this industry. I mean, we de facto launched a new product a couple of months ago. We already have five operators that are working with us. And we're about to expand to other countries in Europe. Like we have the first Dutch player uh, that we are supposed to launch, let's say, immediately after the summer holidays, uh, end of August. I mean, the, the honest feedback, to be completely transparent, was great because... For the tenant, the operator was able to offer for the first time ever a true experience of moving just with your suitcase, right? So everything is included, the Wi-Fi, the cleaning, obviously the room, but also no deposit needed. So the real experience, uh, we're excited because it really helps our partners and, and you know, we, we, we became friends with a few of the operators. It's really aligned. Mm. Uh, so we're really, really excited about that sense. I think... Um, one of the, and that maybe relates to a different uh, topic, but one of the things we discovered is that a few of the operators actually use the deposit money as working capital, right? So that was definitely a revelation for us, and we completely understand the needs uh, there to use that capital. But for those that actually use deposit money as working capital, or for those that part of their portfolio as such, that where is where we had a bit of a challenge to adapt or adjust what we are offering to fit for them as well. Yes, yes. And you you said like you, you launched five months ago a new product. Is that like really related to the co-living scene? Is that it? Yes, absolutely. I mean, for us to be able to serve the co-living, unlike long-term rent, where we, long-term rent is much slower, right? So you yeah. have usually the agency or the owner or the property manager that refers the tenant to Rimbo as part of the buy flow. We run our checks and we send an answer. That process can take days and it's perfectly fine. That's the normal process. What we have understood in co-living is two things. One, it needs to be instant. We have a tenant, you know how it is, or a guest that wants to book. They need to have a seamless and fast and immediate experience. The second thing is we wanted to make sure that we are not a blocker, but we are an enabler. So imagine that we would say no to many of the tenants that you would say yes to. So what we've done is we, we went back to the drawing board and built a product that is specific for co-living, where we are able to really be an enabler. We are really able to move faster and basically tell the operator, hey, if this tenant is good for you, it's good for us. So that was a lot of work on our, let's say, financial end and back end to facilitate that. And that's now life. Hell yes. That's amazing. So, okay. So you launched a product, new, this, this co-living product now five months ago. I guess now the next couple of months, you're going to be all about like scaling it up and offering it to more co-living operators. Do you already have a few new product ideas in your head? Or do, you, do, you, do you know what's going to be next? Like you solved one problem. Have you discovered like other problems that, that you or that you want to solve or maybe that you think other people will solve that are really related to that? Well, uh, thanks for the question. Let me take it one, one thing at a time. But yeah, we have a few other ideas. I mean, we're looking at really understanding better the check-in or the living experience and where we can add value there, especially on the financial side. I mean, obviously, deposit is one of the biggest pain points at the moment of moving, where you know both the tenant and the operator have the willingness to, to take action. Um, we are definitely looking at other components of the living part and how we can help you know make that experience frictionless. Uh, think about the moving as well. How many different moving parts you have in the moving phase? 
uh, from the tenant side and the operator side. So that's definitely a friction point or a pain point that we are trying to solve. So we definitely have a busy H2 plant. Uh, we, we are still focusing on really scaling the first or this product, as I said, working with more operators and fine tuning the service. And we are also looking at later in the year, maybe early next year to enhance the product portfolio, but let's take it one thing at a time. Yes, totally. Um, maybe is there, you know, have you experienced, I mean, for example, for me, I always have ideas on like what, you know, what, what could be changed, what could, what could be done, but at the end you have to commit to something, right? And you can't do everything. Mm-hmm. Um, is there in the real estate scene or even more specifically in the co-living scene, have you, do you see other opportunities that you personally will not tackle? Um, but what, what big opportunities do you see for maybe service providers or even operators um, to, to tackle in the real estate or co-living scene? What's the biggest innovation that you hope seeing in the next couple of years? And it's a great, a great question. I mean, again, looking at it from a bit of the outside, meaning that I'm not an operator myself, I think, you know, the, the trends that are quite evident in the industry is that brand and size matter. You've seen, you know, Star City in the US with, with challenges and habit uh, making a great move with quarters here in Europe. And I think what, what we can see from the outside is looking at more remote work, looking at more and more uh, of, let's say, the, the, the typical co-living age group entering and being more prevalent. There are more people that are using co-living and this industry is expected to grow triple digit year over year. Think about it. If you now have to do a four-month project in a different city, you would probably prioritize the same brand, the same look and feel, the same person at the reception, the same Friday night activity in your co-living, which means that brand is super, super important. And in order to provide good services, operators will have to have the right size in order to scale their activities, right? Because we're talking about the ability to provide the same or similar level of service across different sites. So I think that the ability to expand and stretch co-living to other age groups will be key. So think about you finish university and you're renting your first apartment. If you are introduced to co-living then, I'm assuming that there's a higher probability that you will continue to live in co-living later. So the question will be, how do you go to maybe a younger demographic? And on the other end of the spectrum, how do you go to a more older demographic? What are the different needs? It's not just the copy-paste, but what are the different needs that might consider, make people consider using co-living? So as an example, you know, uh, my, my mom who is retired, and she has been living in her hometown for most of her life. She, now that the first part or the major part of her life is behind her family and business and, you know, retirement, she would love to live in a big city, in the center of the big city with a coffee shop downstairs and maybe a nice a movie theater within walking distance. And this person might compromise on space to get more services, basically co-living. So... To me, it's about really innovating in the sense of how the generation of operators that we see today can think and serve other segments that are not the typical or natural co-liver. I would say this, this is important, both also for the economies of scale of providing your services across multi-site, multi-country, while obviously being profitable. Yeah, I really resonate with that. 
Um, and as you said, I think like, I mean, on one side, the co-living industry is still very young, right? So most co-living operators focus on the millennial generation. Mm. Um, but at the other side, you're, you know, it, it's really, it's almost a, a bit damaging to think that co-living is just for millennials, right? And uh, some operators like Common have understood that where they develop like a project called Millie, like formerly Kin, that's also for single parent families. Exactly. Um, I think there's, a, as you said, you know, there's a huge opportunity for co-living for seniors and not talking about elderly homes, but really just high qualitative livings for people who are 55, 60 plus, um, maybe living by themselves even, and who just want to live in community. Absolutely. And I think another interesting space is matching. So mm-hmm. today, the creation of the community, the way we see it, has two components. One, the ability of the operator to provide, let's call it community-facilitated uh, services. So the activity is the curation and so on. Yes. The second part is the operator's ability or not to actually choose or, let's say, prioritize or guide the right tenants. So imagine that you can use technology to ensure that you have the right tenants that fit your community, not just the other way around. And I think this is very scalable. Uh, if you are able to not do it manually, obviously I'm not saying to replace the interview or the personal touch, but to scale the way that you match make tenants to your co-living using tech, uh, technology, I think can be a great opportunity. Yes. Wow. Um, wow, wow, wow. Okay. I think that's, uh, that's amazing. Like, Question like, do you consider yourself like maybe co-living one day? Oh, I've already done it. So when I worked in Google, I really got tired very quickly of hotels. I was traveling a lot from Dublin to London and San Francisco. And in both places, I stayed in co-living quite a few times. Uh, So I I love it. I mean, to me as a business traveler back in the day, I was looking for that more homey feeling rather than, you know, the cold hotels, even though hotels were always great. And I really enjoyed it. So I would definitely uh, consider probably do it again, but maybe in a bit, um, now that I'm a bit older and wiser, a bit in a different uh, way, but I loved staying and co-living in both London and SF. Yes. Yes. And I I feel like, uh, I feel like with age or just with like, it's not about age, but just by, with time, you get to know yourself better. And I I think that, Eventually, you also are a bit more, um, how to say, have high expectations also around who you want to surround yourself with, right? Um, which is where, for example, the matching is super important. No, 100%. I think at the end of the day, again, this is completely personal, but I spend very little time at home. And the reason is that I enjoy interacting with people at work or after work and whatnot. Having a place that facilitates that interaction that community i think is is something that uh, is a key component for success i'm I'm definitely excited to see how co-living evolves hell yes i'm curious about you like in the next uh, couple of years like what is um what would you like to bring to to the co-living industry and and to to the whole co-live ecosystem it's a tough question i mean i would love to see more established players come into this uh, space. I mean, if, if we can f- help facilitate and introduce further more established players, either it's, uh, you know, construction companies, either it's developers or um, funds who are in this space, I think it would be great because 
the level of experience and operations and the level of um, managing businesses at scale across multiple locations can really benefit and mature this, this young industry. So we've seen in the Colive Summit, you know, the, the great collaboration with Cushman and Wakefield, and we've seen a couple of more senior players. I think this is key. Co-living is, you know, not anymore this mega niche asset class, but it now is becoming a bit more, I wouldn't say mainstream, but for VCs and funds that invest in real estate, it moved from complete niche to a bit closer to mainstream. And I think this is the golden opportunity to use this or, or recognize this change in, 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 um, in, in the investment or in the way that VCs see co-living asset class to introduce more players to really utilize their international footprint, the ability to bring, you know, state-of-the-art processes and operations, which are the heart of the back end of co-living. Yeah, yeah. Totally great. Uh, I think, um, I mean, I'm personally really curious to see where this journey goes. Uh, is there any, any words that you'd like to share with uh, our fellow co-living professionals um, at CoLive and beyond? Whew, uh, well, I guess, you know, hang in there. It's definitely COVID wasn't uh, an easy time, but mm. every possible indicators say that co-living in the future. Now, you know, in business, you are always torn between, yeah, building for the future for three to five years, but you need to, you know, you owe good reporting to your investors on the now, not only on the future. I think the biggest advice would be A, hang in there and B, collaborate. Mm. This is really a business of, you know, branding and, and the ability to size. And size doesn't mean that you have to own or operate 50 buildings in 40 states. It probably means that there are better and more efficient ways to collaborate faster between co-living operators in different locations in different countries. So I really, really think that collaboration is probably the way to hack size in the co-living space. Hell yes, 100% agree with that. And I think that's also what we're all about at CoLive too, uh, really connecting, create, creating connections between people uh, and having people collaborate um, because uh, it's, it's still very early. And I think like right now, especially right now, it's super key to surround yourself with people that are actually building this out. So thank you so much, Roy. Uh, I think uh, what's the best way for people to get in touch with you? Like your website is rimbo.rent. That's R-I-M-B-O.rent. Um, is there any other ways um, to, to, to follow you? Well, first of all, website is the easiest for getting information, but don't hesitate to look me up on LinkedIn or just drop me a note there. I'm very happy to chat or to answer questions. I really, really think that, you know, brainstorming and simply communicating is probably the best way for, our, for all of us to benefit. So just don't hesitate to reach out. Thank you. Wish you an incredible journey and uh, can't wait to see you at one of our next events. <laughs> Thank you very much. Looking forward to it. Thanks again for joining us today. And from all of us here at CoLive, we hope you learned a lot and maybe even picked up a few pieces of wisdom to help expand the CoLiving movement. To check out the CoLive membership, that will allow you to connect with other leading co-living professionals, or even just to stay updated on future podcasts and upcoming events, head over to colive.org. Again, that's co-liv.org. Thanks again for tuning in, and we look forward to having you back for our next episode.